0: This, uh, this morning, what I want to do, I want to do something that really I had, I had not done before prior to um, making this sermon. And that is, back in, um, back in I guess it was January, um, we had a theme month at Oakdale, and we have theme months every now and then at Oakdale, and this one was talking about the songs that we sing. Because after all, there are messages to the songs that we sing. After all, the words mean something. It, it's neat being up north where I am and being around Ivan Costa and every once in a while hearing just the background of a song that he has written. And then after singing that song, after knowing the background of that, just that the this song just means so much more. And when we went through this at, at Oakdale... It, it really has uh, really enhanced my portion when it comes to singing the songs that we have talked about and really just making a connection. And that's what I would like to do this morning as we talk about this particular song this morning, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, we know that singing has always been an important part of worship. In fact, we've sang all kinds of songs through the years and all different types of songs. We've sang songs about heaven. We've sang praises to God. We've sang songs about Jesus and his sacrifice. And we have sang songs of of thankfulness and songs about our salvation and, and songs that could encourage us when times are tough. And yet we sing songs in worship simply because God... Said, I want you to sing. In fact, if you look here in Ephesians chapter nine, verse number nineteen, it says, "Speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord." He, al- he also, we are addressed this as Paul writes in Colossians three verse sixteen, which is on the back of the songbooks. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, How are we to do it? Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so we have this command by God. Sing. And I don't know about you. I love to sing for one thing. And I love the singing as- aspect of when the church assembles together, that we could sing together, we could participate together in that thing. And I believe that brings us together when God's people come together to sing together for one during our worship together. And so I want to go through this song this morning, and you'll bear, bear with me for just a few moments as I talk about the background of this song and how it all came about. And then we're going to get into Scripture here in just a moment. And so we're introduced to a man. This is Horatio Spafford. He was the author of this particular song. Um, He was a hardworking, successful attorney. He lived in Chicago in the latter part of the 19th century. And he was also a religious man, who was very involved in uh, in his church and he became close friends with the evangelist Dwight L. Moody. You might have heard that name before down through the years. And uh, what Mr. Spafford had done, he had supported Mr. Moody's efforts in evangelism. In fact, uh, historians say about Mr. Spafford is that he was a man of the scriptures and he was said to have known them very well. But in 1870, tragedy struck him. In fact, his four-year-old son was struck with scarlet fever, and he died just at the young age of four. And then one year later, in 1871, while he was still struggling with the grief of his uh, son, the Great Chicago Fire came. And... uh, you can see how devastating this was. This was, These are blocks within Chicago. This is about a three mile radius of how widespread this fire was. It was a devastating fire. It killed up to 300 people. And nobody knows for sure how it started, but the most popular belief, as we might have been taught in school, is that Mrs. O'Leary's cow had tipped over the lantern in the barn and had set it ablaze and it then spread throughout the city. But what makes this important is that Mr. Spafford had invested heavily in real estate. And so due to the fire, he and his family, they lost a fortune. But he responded to the fire by helping with the work of rebuilding the city and doing all that he could to help the uh, nearly about 100,000 people who had been left homeless because of this fire. And then there was two years later... It was November of 1873 where Mr. Mr. Spafford and his wife Anna, pictured here. They decided to take a family trip with their four daughters to Europe, and this and this trip was for two specific reasons. Number one, it was for family vacation, but number two was to meet up meet up with the evangelist Dwight Moody and help support in his, in his efforts in what we call a gospel meeting over there uh, in, that, in Europe. And so they packed up and they headed from Chicago to New York where they would uh, board this luxury liner here. I'm not going to begin to uh, tell you the name of this. It's a French word. But that's an artist's rendering of this particular French liner that they were going to board. But at the last minute, though, an urgent matter came up. Rather than making the whole family wait on him, it was decided that his wife, Anna... And uh, their four daughters would go on ahead, and then Mr. Spafford, he would take care of his work, would finish it up, and then he would meet them in just a few weeks over there in Europe. And so off they went, none of them knowing that this would be the last time Mr. Spafford would see his daughters. Because on the way to Europe, in the middle of the night, it was November 22nd, Passengers were sleeping in their beds, as the ship glided through the waters. But they awoke with the jolt that the ship had collided with an iron sailing vessel. And as a result, their ship sank after just 22 minutes. And from the record, 226 passengers died, including all four of Mr. Spafford's daughters. But Anna... She barely survived as she was found in the water, unconscious, laying on a piece of the record, in a wreckage. In fact, she was only one of 47 survivors. And so they, they took the survivors, they land in wells. And when she was over there, she sent this telegraph. This is the actual telegraph that she sent back to Mr. Spafford. And uh, she said here, she said, saved alone, what shall I do? So Mr. Spafford, after he, after he had gotten this message from his wife and the tragic news, he, he booked his passage to join his wife. And, and as he was going over there, it was said it was a cold December night. The captain of his ship called him aside. And he said, I believe we're at the place where the ship went down. So Mr. Spafford was said to just have just stood silently there at the rails, and he kind of looked out into the darkness. He went back to his cabin, but they say he found it hard to sleep, and so he said to himself, It is well, the will of the Lord be done. So from this moment, it inspired him to write these words. This is the actual piece of paper and his handwriting of this poem that he wrote. It's not clear that he wrote the words that night or, uh, or sometime during the journey to see his wife or maybe sometime later. But in 1876, just a few years later, Philip Bliss took the words and put music to Mr. Spafford's poem and it has become a favorite hymn among many Christians since. And I believe it has become a favorite because at times we can relate to the message when we sing this song. We've had some type of heartbreak or hardship that we've gone through. I mean, all of us have experienced the unfairness of life. In fact, to use Mr. Spafford's phrase, we have learned that there are times when sorrows seem to, to, to come as regular as the sea billows that roll ashore. And that's what makes this song a great hymn of our faith because Mr. Spafford points us to the powerful truth and comforting facts that help, uh, that help us when sorrows threaten to overwhelm us. His hymn tells of vital principles that tell us to be content no matter what happens, be content. Or to even put it another way, how it can be well with our soul even when things aren't well in our life and so for just the next few minutes i want to talk about the message of this song as we look at it verse by verse and now we're going to apply scripture to these things and to the message the first verse as we well know says when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well It is well with my soul. What Mr. Spafford tells us is that however life treats you, if it treats you well, if things are going great, and you feel God's blessings continually and it brings peace to you, or on the other hand, if uh, sorrows come to you like waves of the sea crashing upon the shore, in various ways of emotional hurt, maybe depression, maybe chronic pain, maybe broken friendships, or whatever it is in life, whether good or bad, God teaches us something about them. Now, we are not naturally born with the ability to just be happy and be at peace when we're going through through hardships and and grief. And yet again, God teaches us something about those times. In fact, um, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to stay just for a moment here in the context of Philippians chapter 4. He says here in verse number 11, not that I speak in regard to need. He says, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? To be content. In whatever state to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full. And to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, as we all know in verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things because of Christ. And so Paul said he learned something from God. Whatever he was going through, whether it be times of plenty, whether it be times of good, whether it be times of bad or or famine, he learned to be content with whatever state he was in. He learned that it was still well with his soul no matter what. No matter what. And you know, really, when you think about it, being content, man, that could go a long way. It really can. It can keep us from worrying about things that we really don't need to worry about. I mean, some of you might watch the news. Some of you might read the news, maybe on a daily basis. And you're going to see all kinds of stuff. You're going to see stories of crime and war, terrorist attacks. You're going to see society embracing immoral behavior. You're going to see what's going on in in D.C. and, and other things. You're going to see how society is trying to adapt and create new rules that are contrary to the moral laws that we find in the Scriptures you're going to see all kinds of stuff. And sometimes when we expose ourselves to the news like that, maybe it might get us to worrying about what's going on here or there, and it causes us to not be content about where we are, about what is going on around us. But you know, in the previous verses here, in the context of chapter 4, Paul tells us something about that very thing. Look here at verse number 6. Be anxious for nothing. Quit worrying. But what what should we do instead of being anxious for nothing? He said instead, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What's the result? Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's the formula put out by Paul. So the solution is pray. And pray often. Offer prayers that you're thankful for, for things that you're thankful for. Offer prayers for for everything. Let God know how thankful you are for how good He is to you. Let Him know how thankful you are for the things that you have and what He has blessed you with. But also, offer requests to God, pray for others, pray for yourself in in areas where you need strength and you need help. And the result, after we do these things, the peace of God will guard our hearts. That's the result when we put that into action. I'm reminded of another song that we have sang through the years. You all know this one. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care. And bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. And doesn't prayer do that? Absolutely it does. Notice what Paul says here, continuing in verse number 18, still in the context of Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, what do we do? He says we meditate on these things. That's what we do. We meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw me, he said these do. And again, what is the result if we do that? And the God of peace will be with you. That's the result. That's the reward of doing that. And you know, God wants us to be at peace. He wants us to be content in whatever situation we might find ourselves in. So we have to put our faith into action by following Paul's instructions and pray and meditate and then live it out. And when that happens, then it will be well with our soul in that moment of contentment. To provide further help, Mr. Spafford says this in verse 2 of his song. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. I believe that what Mr. Spafford was trying to say is that whatever Satan should throw at us or, or, or try to get us to fall And whatever we might face, let this thought or realization come to your mind that we were so important to God that Jesus took our place on the cross and he died and he suffered for all of us, you and I. That's how important we are to God. And based upon that realization that Jesus has done this for you, and Jesus has done this for me, and that we're saved by Jesus Christ, that ought to bring peace and contentment to make our souls well from that very thought. He did that for us. And the writer of Hebrew, he talks about the suffering of Jesus on our behalf and, and why he had to suffer. Look here in Hebrews 2. The writer here of Hebrews 2, we're going to kind of do a lengthy reading here, but verse nine begins here by saying, "But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. This is talking about him being upon the earth now, in this particular state. He was a little lower than the angels, for the suffering for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom." Are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through how? Through sufferings, the sufferings that he endured. That's a key as we continue on for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying... I will declare your name to my brother. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise, shared in the same. He shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil and Release those who through fear of death Were all their lifetime Subject to bondage for indeed He does not give aid to angels But he does give aid to the seed Of Abraham he's talking About us he gives us Aid Number 17 and 18 therefore In all things he made He had to be made Like his brethren that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know what that says? Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus came and lived upon this earth was to endure things that we endure. And then when we go to God in prayer. He knows what we've gone through because he went through it too. Isn't that great? Because it provides us great assurance that when we suffer, he can relate. He was tempted just as we were tempted. And he is there to help us when we look to him for strength. And yes, it is well with our soul understanding that we can turn to Jesus. At moments like this and with this realization of what is written here in Hebrews chapter 2 but moving on I love the next verse it in fact is probably my my favorite verse of all the songs that we sing and I think one of the reasons why that is is because uh, it's so personal and we get a glimpse of the writer Of what's in his mind because it says my sin and there's almost this parentheses here oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin he says not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul And what a glorious thought and how it makes our soul well to know that when Jesus died on the cross, I want you to understand something. When he died on the cross, it was ultimate. It was ultimate. It took care of everything. I mean, there is no sin too big or there is no sin that is too far out of the Savior's reach that he did not blot out from our lives when we obeyed the gospel. And when someone obeys the gospel, uh, obeys the gospel, That sin is taken care of. And that's the wondrous thing about the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He made for us is that it covers everything. Our slate is completely wiped clean. No remnants of it trailing behind. And when we are cleansed of our sins, we don't have to bear that load. We don't have to bear that shame. We don't have to bear that burden anymore. Because Jesus took care of it at the cross. Praise the Lord that he did that for us. Praise the Lord. Paul gives the same praise when he wrote to the, to the brethren here in, Roman, in Rome. In Romans chapter 5, he says this in verse 10. For if we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? How will we reconcile to God? Through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, what's the result? We shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice. We rejoice in God. We give praise to him through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul had that same rejoicing. And we ought to have that same rejoicing too because Jesus has done that for us. and We praise him for that very thing. Yes, he is good. Indeed, he is. And then finally, the last verse of the song. With this assurance of faith, that's expressed here. Lord, hasten the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. This is our goal, isn't it? This is what we're working towards and anticipating to see. I mean, this is the day we get to go home. It is. And the writer of Hebrews, he he talks about so many great heroes of faith there in Hebrews chapter 11. And we know about those individuals who devote their lives to the Lord there. After all, they're written in Hebrews 11 for a reason. People whom we can look back to throughout the Old Testament scriptures And read about how they displayed their lives of faith. But amidst all that, in the midst here of Hebrews chapter 11, there's a summation of the result of their faith and also the assurance. He says, these all died in faith. He says, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth these people had faith and then he goes on to say for those who say such things declare plainly I love this phrase that they seek a homeland they lived their life out in a way that they were ready to be with God after they lived a life to him and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come they would have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What a reward for people of faith, and what a reward for us who live our lives of faith to Him. He has prepared us a place. Jesus confirmed this in, in John chapter 14. And we live in faith that our homeland is just on the horizon. And know that through our efforts and our righteous living for the Lord, we're going to inherit it. Doesn't that make your soul well? I love at the very end of the Bible where John, after he wrote all those things and saw all those things in 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 the visions that he received, at the very end, in Revelations chapter 22 and verse 20, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. That's the Lord talking. And then John, I love what John says. He says, Even so, come Lord Jesus. And such should be our statement too. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Because we are looking forward to that, aren't we? looking forward to that homeland david wrote this psalm in summary of what we talked about already this morning in the forty-sixth psalm verses one through three i love what david said as he said god is our refuge and strength he also said a very present help in trouble he's there in trouble therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Salaam. And yes, God is there. He is our refuge and our strength through it all. And isn't that a great promise?